The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 18th chapter. Glory be to thee, O Lord. Taking the twelve, Jesus said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ. What do you want me to do for you? That's the question that Jesus asked the blind man beside the road. What do you want me to do for you? Which really, when you think about it, is an all-encompassing, open-ended kind of a question. What do you what do you want Jesus to do for you? Now, I think that when that question is asked of most people, what do you want Jesus to do for you? Or if Jesus himself were to show up and say it, what do you want me to do for you? I think most people, and even many Christians, would think that it's some sort of a trick question. You wouldn't take him seriously. Of course, you don't mean anything. Of course, you don't really mean it to be so open-ended. You don't mean it to be so gracious. And so, many people, many people and many Christians included, don't ask. When given that question, when posed that question, they don't ask for anything. It's too good to be true. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus himself, you've heard him, says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. What do you want me to do for you? But even if somebody were to muster up the courage to ask something of Jesus, anything of Jesus, I still think that there's a tendency for people to think it's some kind of a trick question. So maybe, really... It's the kind of question that is aimed at a special kind of person. Maybe it depends on who you are. After all, in the Bible, there are lots of famous heroes of the faith, and they got to ask Jesus for bold and noble things. Abraham bargained with God about Sodom and Gomorrah. Moses pleaded with God on behalf of his people. Elijah prayed that the widow's son would be raised from the dead. Maybe you have to be one of those kind of famous people, or... This is not something that you've heard before, but I hear this often. People will come up to me and say, you're, you're a pastor, you're close to God, you've got a special access to his ear, why don't you ask him for this? To which my response is, you can ask him yourself. I'm not any closer to God just because I'm a pastor. It doesn't take a special person in order to have God's ear. It's not about the person. Take a look at our lesson today. It's just this random blind fellow by the side of the road that Jesus offers anything to. What do you want me to do for you? In fact, the Gospels are full of random people, nameless people, who come up to Jesus asking him for something, and he gives it to them. The only pers personal qualifications required to receive things from Jesus is need. 
The only thing that you need to have is something that Jesus gives to you. You only need to be lacking in order to qualify to ask something of Jesus. What do these people have all in common? They know their need. They know they're missing something. They know that they're lacking something that only God can provide. That's what the blind fellow in our gospel lesson exhibits. Lord, son of David, son of David, have mercy on me. He needs something. And so he qualifies. But even so, there's this tendency to think that it's still a bit of a trick. Maybe you need to have the right words in order to ask something of Jesus. This is so common in our day. Maybe you hear it among, from televangelists or from evangelical friends or from folks who don't read the Bible very carefully. Maybe you need to have special words, the right kind of prayer, a formula in order to get God to do what you're asking him to do. Maybe if you have the right words, then like Solomon, if you say the right thing, you get all of the other prizes as well. Remember how the story goes. Solomon was offered by God anything that he wanted. Ask of me what you want. Solomon loved God, and he was the king of Israel, and so he asked for a discerning heart to tell the the difference between good and evil so that he could rule God's people justly. And God was pleased with what he asked, and so God gave him also everything else, riches and power and long life, God gave those things to him as well. Maybe, maybe if you ask for the right thing, in the right way, with the right words, then you hit the jackpot. And everything else will belong to you as well. This is such a common thing. Maybe you've heard of like the prayer of Jabez, or a sinner's prayer. Or this happens sometimes even with the Lord's prayer. It's just a formula. You spit it out, and God must do something in return because you put in the right code. That's not how it is. With God. He's not a genie in a bottle. There's no magic formula, which is, by the way, really frustrating for lots of people in our world and even lots of people within the Bible. So there's stories throughout the Bible of people thinking that they could manipulate God. So there was a king of the Moabites, Balak, who thought if only he could get God's prophet to curse his enemies, God's people, God would have to do it. God would have to follow his commands. Or the people of Israel themselves, when they were fighting against the Philistines, they said, well, if God's ark, the ark of the covenant, comes with us into the battlefield, then God has to do what we ask. He has to fight for us. Things went terribly for him, for them. God's not a genie in a bottle. He's not a vending machine. You can't just put in the right code and get out whatever it is that you want. They lost the ark. They lost the battle. And God's glory departed from Israel. It's not how God works. And you know this. You know this because that's not how you relate to anyone else in life. If someone comes up to you, a father or a mother or a brother or a sister or a son or a daughter or a friend, and says, what can I do for you? You don't think, if I say the right words, I'm going to get what I want out of the situation. That is, unless you're planning to manipulate your loved ones. That's not how it works. Instead, they offer what is good and you just ask. You ask knowing that they want to give you exactly what you need. Even so, even so, maybe there's still a little bit of a trick left here. Maybe it's not about saying the right words or being personally qualified to ask things of God, but maybe God's really only offering spiritual things. That is, maybe the only right answer really is the forgiveness of sins. So if Jesus comes up to you and says, what do you want me to give to you? The only answer you should really give is, I want the forgiveness of sins. Maybe you shouldn't care about anything else in your life. Kind of like being a a contestant in a beauty pageant where the the right answer is always world peace. No matter what, the right answer is the forgiveness of sins. When Jesus asks, that's what you ask him for. That's what you say you need. As though you're supposed to forget about all of the trouble in your life. 
as though that blind man on the side of the road were just to forget about his blindness and only care about the forgiveness of sins. No. Jesus says, what do you want? What do you want me to do for you? And and the blind man says to Jesus, Lord, that I might see. Just like all of those other random people in the Bible who come up to Jesus asking on behalf of their friends, on behalf of their children, Lord, my servant is sick. My child is oppressed by a demon. My friend can't walk. I am blind. I am deaf. I am mute. I'm leprous. My friend is dead. All of these complaints, all of these requests, they're not just about the forgiveness of sins, but they're about the things that God has promised to his people. They're about the things that he has promised to restore in the resurrection. Think about it. It's not as though Jesus loves blindness. Suffering in the world, the kind of suffering that we experience in our flesh, is not because God loves it. It's on account of sin, and it's because God wants to restore it, restore our bodies, that he brings us into the resurrection, that he promises the restoration of everything we've lost on account of sin. He cares about those who are blind, those who are poor, those who are sick, those who are dying, those who are grieved, those who are dead. He cares about all of those things. There's no trick in Jesus' question. What do you want me to do for you? There's no trick when he says to you, what do you want me to do for you? He wants you to ask. Now notice, of all of the random kinds of requests that people make in the Bible, and even going back to Abraham and Moses and Elijah or King Solomon, notice that all of those requests stem from love. Think about it. Abraham cares about his poor nephew Lot, who lives in Sodom. Moses cares about God's people. Solomon cares about God's people. Elijah cares about that poor widow and her dead son. All of the people who brought their petitions to Jesus, saying, my child, my servant, my friend, they all cared, they loved. And so they made their requests flowing from love. Even the blind man, when he prays for himself, Lord, I want to see, he's not being selfish, but he loves what God loves, health and wellness and wholeness. He knows what God's design for his body was, not to be blind, but to be able to see. It all stems from love, love of God's good creation, love for your neighbor, love of God himself. It all stems from that. That's the source of every one of those petitions, every one of those prayers. How did they all learn love? How did all of those people learn what to ask for? Well, it was because they had been loved first. They knew how to ask, and they asked boldly and confidently. They asked in love because they had been loved first by God. Son of David, have mercy on me. It's not the kind of request you could make from someone who is not merciful, from someone in whom you do not hope, from someone who has not made promises or plans to keep them. The blind man had already received love from God. He knew the promises of God, and so when Jesus says, what do you want from me, he just asked. Lord, I want to receive sight. Please heal my eyes. Like the tax collector who goes into the temple and prays for God's mercy. Or like the children who, just a few verses before our lesson, our gospel lesson, were brought to Jesus just because they wanted to be near him, because their parents wanted them to be near him. Or like Zacchaeus, afterwards, after our lesson, who promised us to restore everything that he'd stolen fourfold to those he had defrauded because he had been loved by Jesus. That's where their love flows from, and that's where their prayers come from. It comes from the love they have received from God 
by faith? That's the big question of Luke chapter 18. Jesus is nearing the end of his ministry. So much is behind him and not much is before him except for the cross and the grave. And the question Jesus asks at the beginning of Luke chapter 18 is a startling question. He says, when the Son of Man comes again, will he find faith? That is, will he find people who have received God's love and who love in return? Will he find people who ask when Jesus offers? Will he find people who hear that question, what do you want me to do for you, and do not think that it's a trick, but trust that he will deliver whatever it is that they need? What do you want Jesus to do for you? Do you trust him? When he says that he will do anything, he'll do anything for you, do you believe him? Do not look inside yourself to answer that question. When we think about faith, about trusting God, it is very easy for us to become very introspective, to examine our hearts and say, am I trusting hard enough? Am I trusting strong enough? How big is my faith in comparison with others? Is it big enough to move mountains? Is it big enough to receive from Jesus every good thing? Don't do that. When it comes to your faith, don't look in your own heart. When you're trying to figure out whether you trust Jesus or not, don't ask that question at all. Instead, ask this question. Is Jesus trustworthy? Has he kept his promises? Is he good? Does he love you? Has he died for you? Has he promised to give you every good thing? Has he ever broken his promises before? Ask those questions and see whether in the end you don't trust him. Trust in Jesus comes from his word, from the gifts that he gives to you. From what he gave to you already before you asked. Notice this in our gospel lesson. Before Jesus even encounters the blind man on the road, he says to the disciples, we're going to Jerusalem and I'm going to die. I'm going to give up my life for you and on the third day I will rise. Before anyone could ask, before the disciples could even understand what he was talking about, while it was still hidden from them, he did it. It says, St. Paul says, while we were still enemies of God, he died for us. While we were still weak, while we never would have asked for anything, he gave us everything. If that's the case, how can he possibly withhold from us every good thing that we need now, that we ask for by faith? Jesus wants to give you hope and help and comfort and strength. He wants you to bring to him everything that you suffer in this life, every last thing. The things that you think are too small, the things that you think don't matter, the things that you think are too big that he could never handle or that he'll never change, the things that you imagine are impossible, he wants you to bring them all to him. For every struggle, for every last little bit of suffering in life, it is to Christ that we must cling, to nothing else but him. Not to look for the answer in any other place, but to Christ, to receive from him his mercy applied to this trouble. That's exactly what's going on in our gospel lesson. The blind man called out for the mercy of God. Son of David, have mercy on me. And by asking, he had already received it. He'd received every good thing from Jesus. And then Jesus says, well, what now? What more can I do for you? Where else should I apply this mercy? Lord, I want to see. For every resurrection promise not yet fulfilled, for the restoration of sight, for health and wellness, for happiness, for freedom from sorrow, for wiping away every, tears from, every tear from your eyes, for all of those promises not yet fulfilled, it is to Christ that you should cry out. It is to him that you should look for mercy. Because no one else can deliver 
but he will. It's not who you are or having the right words or only pious spiritual requests that Jesus promises to answer, but it's his trustworthiness that matters. It's his life and death for you on the cross that matters. Matters even more than how you feel in your heart. So that is why you should pray, even when you don't mean it from the bottom of your heart, even when you don't feel it from your gut, even when you think you can't, when you open your mouth and nothing comes out, even then, pray. Use the words your Lord has taught you. Pray, because Jesus means it from the bottom of his heart. Jesus is the one who feels his love for you deep in his gut long before you felt it for him. He's the one who will never trick you or deceive you. He's not trying to set you up. He just wants to give you good things. Your Savior loves you. He'll never lie to you. He gave up his life for you, and he has kept his promises till now. He will certainly do it to eternity. To him alone be all glory now and forever. Amen.